2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to be talking about a topic this morning that our uh, culture actually has latched onto over the past four or five years. The word blessed. <coughs> Jessica Bennett sums up the hashtag blessed life comically when uh, she wrote for the New York Times recently. God has, in fact, recently blessed my network of friends and acquaintances with dazzling job promotions, coveted speaking gigs, the most wonderful fiancés ever, front row seats at Fashion Week, and nominations for many a, quote, 30 under 30 list. Miss Bennett writes, there's nothing quite like invoking holiness as a way to brag about your life. Hashtag blessed. There's a sense in which it's true. Posts that are tagged or hashtagged blessed are often shared in a spirit that is meant to evoke a sense of envy or jealousy in those who see what they're sharing. Look at how great my life is. Things are going so well for me. God must really like me. But no one would actually write those words, right? And so instead we write hashtag blessed. Writer Daniel Thomas Thompson says, it's almost as if the internet now exists simply to voyeuristically hate read all the ways everyone else in the world has been blessed, right? Scroll through our feeds and all these things, amazing things that are happening to other people and not to me. There is literally no other word that can simultaneously inspire such animosity and rapture. Well, this morning, as we come to the second half of the sixth chapter of 2 Samuel, it's as though David is scrolling through his Instagram feed one morning and it seems like this guy, Obed-Edom, every day is posting all of these pictures of his amazing life with the caption, the ark is parked in my front yard, hashtag blessed. Until David finally gets jealous enough to go and take that ark from Obed-Edom's front yard and decide to put that thing in his own front yard. And so this morning, as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're, we've been a little bit you know, tongue-in-cheek about this, but the truth of the matter is, this chapter is going to show us what does it really mean to have the blessing of the Lord in your life? What does it mean to be blessed, and not in some filtered nonsense posted by an Instagram celebrity, and not in some idolatrous heresy peddled by a prosperity gospel preacher, that's not the blessing we're seeking after or that we want in our life, but what is? What does it mean to be blessed? We want the true blessing of the Lord, and the Lord shows us that his true blessing this morning comes through his king. And if you have a Bible this morning, I hope you've already turned to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let's stand together. We're going to honor the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 11. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. 
And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went up and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. There's a hymn that perhaps some of you grew up singing. I believe it's in our hymnal. Um, I know that they used to sing it at Mindy's old church. Uh, Make me a channel of blessing. Have you heard of that one? Yeah. In many ways, that's exactly what we see going on here in 2 Samuel chapter 6. First, we see it in a small scale, in a microcosm with Obed-Edom. The Lord blesses Obed-Edom and then through him blesses all of his household. And then when David hears of it and he decides, we're bringing this ark to Jerusalem, the Lord blesses David and then through David blesses the entire house of Israel. So there's a progression to the story. And then as we recognize the progression of how the Lord passes his blessing, channels his blessing through his king to his people, the question then becomes, will we receive or despise his king. So we see first the Lord blesses his king, and then secondly we see the king blesses his people, and then there remains for us a choice. Are we willing to become a part of his people and, and receive the king, or will we stand apart from God's people and despise him? So if you were here last week, you remember that David and his men have already tried to bring the ark of God into Jerusalem 
to be there with David, the presence of the Lord with David in his city. And things did not go well the first time. And the reason why is because they didn't obey God's command. God made it plain to Moses, the way you move this ark is with the poles that are supposed to be in it. And it's supposed to be carried by the priests. So we read in the first half of chapter 6, that is not what David did. They put it on an ark. They put the ark on a cart. An idea they got from the pagan Philistines. Instead of carrying it on their shoulders, so that when the cart hit a pothole and the ark started to slide out the back of the tailgate, Uzzah put out his hand to just, you know, steady things a bit. And he was immediately struck dead at that very juncture. And David said, we're done. This ark is staying right here. There's no way this thing is coming into my city. And David grew angry, and then his anger turned to fear. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? If this is what the presence of God, if it's this dangerous, if it's this fearful to be in the presence of the holy God, I don't know if I want him in my city. And so the ark stayed right there where it had fallen in the front yard of the man Obed-Edom. But then the Lord does a strange thing in verse 11. So we read, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Verse 12, And it was told, it was reported, the news came to King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. And why? Because, because the ark of God is right there in his front yard. That's why. What's the Lord doing here? The Lord makes King David jealous. He starts blessing Obed-Edom and little by little, it starts to show up in David's newsfeed that Man, all this great stuff is happening to the man that he left the ark just abandoned in his front yard. That, that, that man's house is now exploding with blessing. And the Lord, little by little, begins to make David jealous for his presence until David cannot stand it any longer. He has got to have the blessing of the Lord. And we see David, and he goes, and Things go very differently the second time around for David. We're told David and all the people, they proceed on their way with the ark, this time with joy. Tears of gladness streaming down David's face. And we recognize, firstly, the Lord has blessed his king. The Lord blesses his king. And the question is, what does that blessing look like? Does David have New horses, you know, has the Lord given him a new Mustang? Does he have more money, more fame? Has he received a promotion and his kingdom is exploding now? What does this blessing look like? And we realize when we read the story, what the Lord has bestowed on David is none of those things. The blessing of the Lord looks like this. Radical <coughs> obedience. This is how we know David is blessed. He obeys the Lord in an absolutely radical way. Look at verse 13 again. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. 
And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. This is where the problem arose the last time David tried to transport the ark. Last time he tried to do it on wheels with a cart. Disobeying God's law. This time we have priests carrying it on foot. And verse 13 uses a specific word. It's as if it says, and those who were carrying it when they had stepped six steps. The emphasis is on the fact the ark is being carried according exactly to the law of Moses to a T this time. The narrator is emphasizing David's obedience. And if you go read the story as it's recounted in 1 Chronicles, it's made even more explicit there. This is done in exact compliance with God's law. The second time around. But as if that were not enough, as if the narrator's emphasis on the fact that they're carrying it the right way this time, David goes to great lengths to emphasize his obedience because every time the priests take six steps, they have to stop and make a sacrifice the entire way to Jerusalem. This isn't mere obedience. This isn't David just grumbling and saying, well, I guess we got to do it the way God says. This is David going over the top, radical in his obedience to God's law. The town where the ark was parked was about nine miles journey from Jerusalem. So you can kind of understand why they would want to put the ark on a cart. I mean, nine miles is a long way to walk let alone to carry a big wooden box that's overlaid with how, who knows how many pounds of gold. Have you, you all ever felt gold? I mean, that stuff is heavy. Can you imagine then not only walking nine miles, but having to carry this heavy box? I mean, it makes sense why you would want to put it on an ark. Now imagine that the guy at the leader of the pack is making you stop every time you take six steps so that you can build an altar and... You have to wait for him to flay and sacrifice two animals before you can take six more steps and do it all over again. Let's do the math on this real quick, all right? So let's say, and I think this is an over-exaggeration. Mindy said this is a little bit of over-exaggeration, but let's say that every stride is one yard, okay? So there's 1,760 yards in one mile. Okay, so we said that it's nine miles from Baala Judah to Jerusalem. The journey that they're making, nine miles. So 1,760 yards times nine makes 15,840 yards. So 15,840 strides along the journey. And they're stopping every six strides. That's 2,000 640 stops, 5,280 5, animal sacrifices. Does this sound a bit excessive to you? It's not. This is what it looks like to be hashtag blessed. Radical obedience. The Lord blesses his king. 
This is David's way of acknowledging, Lord, you were right. I was wrong. You are to be feared. You know what's best, not me. You say how to worship you, not how I want to worship you. You are in charge, and I just want to serve you with all of my life. Lord, I need the blessing of your presence. Radical obedience is the blessing of the Lord. The comment in verse 14 about David dancing before the Lord and clothed in a linen ephod is not just incidental to the story. If you know what an ephod is, it's, it's, it's sort of just a linen cloak that the priests would often wear underneath uh, all the other garments that they had to wear when they were serving in the presence of the Lord. There's only one other place in the Bible where this same phrase, clothed with a linen ephod, is used. And those of you who have been with us since the beginning of the book of Samuel ought to know who wore that. It's meant to remind us of a little boy from the beginning of 1 Samuel whose life was characterized by the same radical obedience. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And it's meant to remind us of a promise that God gave to his people through that little boy clothed in a linen ephod. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, and this is what will be the sign of his blessing and of his faithfulness, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. This is how you'll know him. This is how you'll recognize him, by his radical obedience. Friends, the blessing of the Lord in our lives is meant to make the world jealous. But it's not because God has given us a new car or a new house or a hot wife or a pretty face or a new toy or loads of cash. The Lord is garnering jealousy for his presence through your radical obedience. That is how he is drawing all men to himself, is that people see your life and they say, I don't know what's going on there, but I want that. That's blessing. They see you, and they see you giving an unthinkable amount of money to your church and to the poor. And they see you doing unthinkable things like serving your coworkers instead of treating them like stepping stones to bigger and better things. Because you love your enemies, and you pray for the people who speak ill of you in your workplace. Because when people hate you, you return not hate for hate, but hate with love, and you overcome evil somehow with good. Because husbands, they see in your life laying aside your preferences and what serves you and what you want in order to sacrifice joyfully to serve your wife and children. Because they see wives who are not aspiring to big and better things and, and to be, have acclaim in the world, but what they want is to submit and use their skills and talents to serve and love their husbands and their children. Because they see kids who aren't selfish, but who treasure the opportunity to show love to their parents by obeying them, by serving their brothers and sisters. And they see this and the world says, this is a blessing that money and social media and fame and celebrity and whatever you have out cannot give me. And this is what I want. The Lord's blessing. 
So 2 Samuel 6 shows us that that blessing begins with the king. But what we see quickly is that as David, the king, receives the blessing of the Lord, then he becomes a channel of blessing to all the people. So the Lord blesses his king, and then the king, secondly, the king blesses his people. So David brings the ark successfully into Jerusalem. They put it in the tent, and he's pitched for it there next to his own house. And verse 18 tells us, And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he... David, the king, blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his own house. So David is jealous for the blessing of the Lord, and he must have it, and He's willing to do anything, radical obedience, if that means the presence of the Lord in his life. And so he garners the blessing of God. But then as he brings the ark into Jerusalem, we find the king then passes that blessing on to the people. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then we see this tangible distribution of the blessing as he welcomes the entire nation of Israel around his table. Everyone is invited. doesn't matter. All the people. It says the whole congregation of Israel, the men, the women, the children, everybody gathered around. Every member of his kingdom, every single person gets a share in the Lord's blessing. And this is pretty typical of any kingdom. You have a king and he has a great victory and he's fought hard for it. Man, he comes back and there's a big parade and he's going to throw a feast and everybody is going to get to join together and celebrate the blessing that, that has come upon that king. And friends, this is a perfect picture of what we as the people of God have experienced in the victory of the son of David, Jesus Christ, our king. After a long road to Jerusalem, a road paved with radical obedience. He offered up himself, the Bible tells us, to be a curse in the place of his people. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But in that final moment of radical obedience, and we see Jesus up there, and we recognize he's only hanging there because the Father told him to do it. We realize even though the world may call him cursed, this is the place of the blessing of the Lord. This king that the whole world has come together to mock and crucify and kill is the blessed one. And when he emerges three days later from the grave, guess what? It's to share all that blessing with each and every one who belongs to him. This is why Acts chapter 2 sounds so similar to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What is going on there? They are experiencing and sharing in the blessing of the king. The king has had his victory. And now the king has received the blessing from the Lord and he is channeling it to his people. 
they break bread together, as they gather around the table, as they go to church together, as they worship God together, and the whole world gathers around and sees what's going on and they cannot deny it, these people are blessed. You know, I wonder whether we think about this when we sit down to eat meals together. What's that thing that we normally do as Christians before we eat? Yeah, we say the blessing, right? Yeah. Friends, this is exactly what King David was doing. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus has done for us, gathering us around his table and letting us share in the blessing of the Lord. I wonder who you are gathering around your tables in your home throughout the week. The Bible says that in Christ we have become a royal priesthood. You and I are kings and queens of heaven. We have the opportunity in Christ to pass the blessing of the Lord to those who are gathered around our table. Certainly that starts with our spouse, our children. But what about your neighbors, your co-workers, your roommates, your friends? Meal times are meant to be a tangible way that we pass the blessing of the Lord to others. It's a place where we see the truth that the king blesses his people. So we've seen the Lord, he blesses the king, and then the king becomes a channel of blessing and passes that blessing along to the people, and this ultimately leaves us with a choice. Verse 16, in the midst of all of this celebration, we may have missed the detail in verse 16, but it tells us there was one person who chose to sit out this whole affair. Look at verse 16 with me. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So as we look at what's going on and we realize the truth about what the blessing of the Lord is, and we realize that that blessing is passing through the king to his people, we're faced with a choice. Will we receive the king and the blessing of the Lord? Or will we despise the king and miss out on that blessing? We have the people of Israel, and they're joining with the king, and they're singing, and they're celebrating, and they're a part of it, man. All of them gathering around the table. They cannot wait to get a taste of the blessing of the Lord. But we have the daughter of Saul, Michal. She sits there aloof. She's going to stay in the windowsill. She's going to watch what's going on, and she despises David for how foolish he looks in his radical obedience and worship of God. As we look at McCall, this is the third and final point. This is the warning to us. Do not despise the king. Verse 20, we pick up the story. It says, David returned to bless his household. But McCall, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me 
above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord. <laughs> and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken by them, I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. What we see this morning in the story is that the king is really the hinge. And we're talking about living the blessed life. Receiving the blessing of the Lord, it all hinges on whether or not you receive or despise the king. Receive him and receive the blessing of the Lord forever. Despise him and receive the curse of the Lord forever. And those are your only two options. McCall looks on David in his radical obedience, twirling, dancing, wasting all of their money in a grand show of worship to the Lord. And she says, you look like a fool out there. What kind of a king acts like this? In verse 21, I love how David responds. He basically says, you can hate it or you can love it, but the Lord has chosen me. I'm the hinge here. Are you going to receive me or despise me? Blessing passes only through the king. There is no other way into the presence of the Lord. And ultimately, as believers, we recognize David's claim of exclusivity points us toward Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no alternate route to the blessing of the Lord. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Many roads do not lead to heaven and the blessing of the Lord. There is only one way. And if you refuse to gather into the kingdom of Jesus, if you will not worship with his people, if you will not gather at his table, you will never know the blessing of the Lord. And what remains? The curse is all that remains. Either you are blessed or you are cursed. And there is no gray area. And I, I feel like there are a lot of people out there who convince themselves that, that they do dwell in this gray area. You know what? Um, I'm, I'm just kind of indifferent to Jesus. I'm an agnostic. I don't really know if he's real. I don't really know if maybe he's raised from the dead or not. You know, is he really on the throne or not? You know what? I'm just going to leave Jesus alone and Jesus can leave me alone. Imagine for a moment that you had a child. Those of you who are parents, this is not hard to imagine. But even you kids, okay? We can all imagine this, all right? Imagine you had a child and, you know, that baby comes out, and the first thing you've got to do, you've got to change all of its diapers, and you've got to feed that thing, and you've got to stay up all night, some nights, taking care of this thing, and when it cries, you wipe its tears away and feed him when he's hungry, and as he gets older, you make sure that he has all the clothes he needs, and you teach that child how to speak, and you make sure that there's always food on the table for that child, and that there's always a roof over that child's head, and that that child is being taught all the things he needs to learn so that he can go out and succeed in the world. 
And whenever that child is sick, you stay home from work and you take that child to the doctor. And then that child becomes a teenager. And all of a sudden at dinner one night, he makes this declaration and he won't even look you in the eyes anymore. He says, I don't really know whether my parents exist. It doesn't really matter if mom and dad do really exist, that's fine. If not, that's fine too. You know what? If mom and dad are out there, you all leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. And he becomes an agnostic. Parents, do they exist or not? I'm not sure. It doesn't really affect my existence. He doesn't know, doesn't care. But he does continue to drive the car that his parents bought him. He does continue to eat the meal that seems to appear at the table three times a day. He continues to use the laptop and iPad that his parents bought him and the allowance that seems to keep appearing there to go out and have fun with his friends. And he continues to raid that pantry that somehow remains well-stocked all the time. And when he goes to the doctor, it seems someone else is footing the bill and has an insurance plan that includes his name. And living in a house that's paid for by, he's not sure who, but you know, he's an agnostic. He'll leave his parents to themselves if they exist, so long as they leave him to himself. Now, if that was your child, would you be satisfied with that? Friends, there's no such thing as agnosticism when it comes to Jesus Christ. There is either belief and love or unbelief and despising. But the truth of the matter is this morning, you owe your very existence, your every breath, everything that you are and have to Jesus Christ who made you. He owns this entire universe, everything you have, your clothing, your food, family, home, money, phone, school, whatever you have, if you have it, it comes to you through Jesus Christ. And you can choose either to receive that as the truth, or you can choose to despise him, but to pretend that he doesn't exist, or that you're not sure, is foolish. That's not agnosticism. That's McCall. That's despising your king, the one who has come to bring blessing to you and has given you everything you have and in fact has come to give you the blessing of eternal life. But when he comes into your life, you meet him outside the door and rebuff him and say, you know what, I'm not sure I want that from you. The one who has conquered death itself to set you free from sin, to bring you eternal life, and you stop him at the door and say, you don't belong here. This is my life. I would be very careful before uttering such words to the king of the universe. You see, the good news of the gospel is not an invitation. It's a command. Repent and believe. There's nothing optional about that. Now, you could choose to receive or to despise this command. But the king that you have been called to receive is a king who is not ashamed to make himself as David says, yet even more contemptible than this. We are called to receive the king whose own appearance was marred beyond human recognition for the sake of his people.
We are called to receive a king who, even though McCall sarcastically accuses David of being stripped naked, actually was stripped naked before the eyes of the entire world and mocked and humiliated as he suffocated to death for you and I. This is the king that, we, that comes now and says, receive me. You need to repent and believe. How can we be so ungrateful as to despise such a great and blessed king? Verse 23 presents us with that choice as we go. Verse 22 and 23. David says, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. You know, Matthew's gospel, as it recounts the story of the cross, it, 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 it tells us about these characters who are standing on the side. A couple of women were there. Matthew tells us there were many women looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. You know, we might even call them maidservants of the king. We're told these two women are Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary, James and John's mother. And these women keep appearing. It says when they buried Jesus, they were there by the tomb watching as the stone was rolled over the entrance. Matthew tells us after the Sabbath on the first day of the week, these two maidservants of King Jesus returned to their king's grave, hoping to pay honor to him. And it's there they become the first human beings to hear the good news. That the Jesus who was crucified three days before is not in the tomb anymore. And guess what? They haven't seen Jesus. They've simply heard. But they believed. And they go sprinting off with joy to go tell the disciples. And then they hear a voice that stops them in their tracks. And that voice says, greetings. And the Bible tells us these two women fell on their faces and worshiped Jesus. The choice is yours today. Will you be like McCall and despise the blessed king? Will you be like these maidservants and fall on your face and worship him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you, you come to us and it is astounding once we have seen and heard all that you have done for us that anyone could despise such a king. Lord Jesus, we pray that your blessing would press deep into our hearts and would result in radical obedience. We pray that you would make us channels of blessing, that you would pass the blessing of your name through us into the lives of our children our spouses, our neighbors, and to the ends of the earth. It's in Jesus' name, our blessed King, we pray. Amen.